Welcome to Big Data Small Talk, where we take the vast and complex world of data and break it down to bit-sized accessible conversations. Each episode is featured by leaders in the fields of data science, AI, or data engineering, as we explore the latest trends, challenges, and opportunities around data. Grab a cup of coffee and let's get started. Hello, everyone. This is Big Data Small Talk, and today we're here to talk about the best open source tools for data engineering with focus on Apache Iceberg, which today I'd say is one of the most modern and scalable tools to help you store and manage your data. We also talk about many other tools that work great with it and that you can use to make your data stack the most updated and modern as possible. I have the most amazing people here to talk about this with me. And ever since Deepakar and I scheduled this talk last week, I'm super excited for this conversation. So Deepakar and Alex are two amazing DevRels, both from Dreamio, spreading the word about Apache Iceberg. And whenever you look for Dreamio or Iceberg on the internet, there they are. I love the work they're doing and it's such a pleasure to have you both here today. They also host a podcast called Select Star from Data Lake and have a book on the way. I'll let them both talk a bit more about it. Alex, why don't you start and introduce yourself? Hey, everybody. My name is Alex Merced. I'm one of the developer advocates here at Dremio. And yeah, no, we have some really exciting stuff that we're, we're constantly putting up together, awesome content on just talking about the awesomeness that is Data Lake has architecture, particularly like table formats like Apache Iceberg. But we're actually coming out with a book on Apache Iceberg, an O'Reilly book called Apache Iceberg, The Definitive Guide, which we're really excited about. It's been quite a journey, you know, authoring a book. But yeah, no, other than that, basically, um, me personally, I'm just like a big sort of tech geek, whether it's in the, in the web development space, the data space. I've been definitely just enjoying just going out there and advocating and educating on different technologies over the last several years. So yeah, that's what I like to do. I like, I like to create content to help people, to empower people to use these tools, to educate people on using these tools. So that way we create better stuff and, you know, our data pipelines keep getting better. Our web applications keep getting better. Everything keeps getting better for just a better world and better internet and better everything. And uh, yeah, that's me. Thank you so much. And we're going to talk a lot about all the work you guys are doing. Deepakar, would you like to go next and introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you so much, Sabrina, for you know even initiating this. Yeah, and uh, it's always a pleasure to like talk about this stuff. So I'm I'm Deepankar, I'm the developer advocate here at Dremio as well. Currently, we focus on you know helping engineering teams build robust data platforms using open source solutions like Iceberg, and that we're going to talk about today. But also other things like which Dremio contributes, like Apache Arrow, is also you know super important for the overall data stake stack and modern data stack. You know, Project Nessie as well. And obviously, we work on the evangelism of Dremio's Lakehouse platform, how it can simplify these things for, you know, people who are getting started with the data journey. And my previous gigs were in the rules, like I come from a software engineering background and a data science background as well. And yeah, we are co-authoring. I'm also co-authoring the book on Apache Iceberg, and we are super excited about that. It's the first book on Iceberg, so that that also is super exciting. Yeah. This is so great. And I want to focus on... This talk is to help you guys learn how to modernize your data stack, how to use those modern tools and how to make the most out of them. So you, I think, work less manually and more on your projects. Also, I have my awesome co-host here with me, Sai. Would you like to also introduce yourself and a little bit of your work? Yeah, yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to co-host this with Sabrina and 
I'm glad to share space with Deepankar and Alex. I'm a machine learning engineer at Shekudo. Presently, I'm working on more of generative AI stuff, open source LLMs, fine tuning them, and hosting those LLMs on platforms. For those who don't know Shekudo, it's it's an operating system for data and ML stacks. We provide environment for data scientists and data engineers to plug and play different tools. Like they can experiment with different data stacks for their use cases. Like they can try Apache Flink or Apache Doris with different storage layers like Iceberg or Hoodie or uh, Delta Lake or so. And they can efficiently ship their work to production quickly. We do this like by hosting the platform and integration on customer clouds or like on-prem, giving clients more control and we enhance the privacy and security of their stacks this way. That being said, I'm a beginner to this field of data engineering. I'm hoping to learn and get more insights with this stuff, with this talk. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today with me, Sai. Absolutely, Shikudo is all about making it easy for you to build the data stack that you want and be able to change it as you wish without worrying about any integrations and stuff like that. So that being said, let's just jump into the questions. I have a lot of amazing questions for you guys here. And for the first one, I think just thinking about data and today is this is very, very important for any business today is trying to find ways to efficiently manage and store their data. They're thinking about this more than ever. But also we see a lot of, I think, even mispreparation when thinking about how to use the right data stack and, and how to scale that and how to avoid doing things manually as much as possible. Because, well, if you want to hire data scientists or ML experts or data engineers, all those people are very expensive. Their ROs are very expensive and many companies end up spending their time with manual and sometimes even DevOps work that is not related to their field when we already have tools and platforms that can do a lot of the heavy lifting for them. So this is why in that scenario, Dreamio and Shakudo are very similar into addressing this problem and to finding those solutions. A lot of tools here that we're gonna share open source also amazing into solving these problems for people so that your engineers can go straight into work and not worry about maintaining a lot of stuff. And the first question here for you guys that I have is, what are those challenges that businesses are facing right now that we can see when they try to go into more data-driven projects and storing, managing, and processing data? Yes, Alex, over to you. Okay, basically, when I take a look at the big picture today of like sort of what is the modern data challenges, generally there's sort of three main categories and sort of three sort of main trends we see that are solving these problems. First off, you have sort of the technological scale problem. So the idea that not only is the amount of data we have growing faster than ever, but the use cases for that data expanding faster than ever. So once upon a time, we would just, you know, ETL the data into the, the data lake and then ETL a portion of that data to the data warehouse. And then, you know, that would satisfy most of our use cases. But now that they're expanding so fast, no one platform really can satisfy every use case. So you need to have your data sort of available to several tools. And this is sort of where the data lake house comes in and having sort of your data in a place that multiple tools can access it. it addresses that sort of scalable expansion of use issue. Then there's the problem of sort of like the cultural maintenance of the data in the sense that like, 
if you just have a centralized IT team, as your data expands and your company grows, there's just so much context and culture that gets lost when you don't have people who are sort of like close to the data that is that, that specific domain. So this is where like data mesh comes in and it kind of addresses that problem. And then the kind of the problem you were discussing, where it's like basically there's a lot of manual maintenance and doing all of this. And the idea is like, we want to make sure that data has good quality, that it's integrated well. And in there, we want to automate that. And that's where you start seeing the sort of data ops and data as code trend, which tools like Messy, one of the open source tools that we love to talk about, kind of really plays a role in allowing you to do things like versioning and being able to isolate that in a way that can be easily automatable. So those are sort of like the big categories of challenges that I see and sort of like the trends you see that are kind of addressing those challenges at the industry as a whole. Well, I completely agree. And I think, Deepaka, would you like to add something to it or even yeah. how Dreamio or Iceberg fixes that? Right. Yeah, I think I think that we're talking about like you know some of the critical aspects of data and like like storage and management and like you know processing like those are three different aspects as as as, as to me. So obviously, like you know, we have to look for one of the main like you know budding like problem that we usually see when we're starting analytical journey is that how do we you know calculate the cost of a particular infrastructure, right? You know whether you are going to like you know set and build this up low, you know with your own set of engineers or you're just going to buy something and you know, set it up like easily and those kind of stuff. So these are the different aspects, like, you know, from, from where we, you know, these kind of like problems come from and where we kind of like try to address this. So the technical complexity of a particular infrastructure and those are the, you know, different, different points and segments that you, you might want to target. So definitely like, you know, uh, there are some of the predominant challenges, for example, data quality, like Alex mentioned, right? Data quality is a huge problem, you know, no matter how much you know, robust model you're going to build unless and until you don't have that integrity and like quality. It's really a challenge. Like I come from an ML background as well. And what I realized over my time is that there is no point unless and until you have that kind of sort data to like support your model building, right? And even with LLMs, we are kind of learning that and, you know, you're kind of maturing that journey. So those are the kind of aspects. And obviously, like once you're there to build your data strategy and platform, I think things like, you know, how you can like do things like privacy and security and, you know, how do you deal with this different, like, you know, variety and velocity of data, right? For example, we have seen organizations who have, like, you know, petabyte and exabytes of data. And, like, you know, for example, Shopify, for example, right? You know, they have, how do they kind of, like, you know, scale that their journey? And how do they make sure they don't break their current analytical workloads? So I think that those are the kind of, like, challenges that we have to start with, yeah. This is very well said. And I think we, we also see a lot of this into the work we're doing at Shakuto side, would you like to talk more about it and what challenges you usually see maybe our, our clients going through and, and talking about like scaling their data processes or data projects? Yeah, I think like I, I go with Alex and Dipanka, like data quality is one of the major issues they face. I think like ensuring the accuracy and consistency of the data I mean, data can go through like several transformations and like through many databases before reaching the end user who is like data scientist or analyst. So any thoughts on that, like how to improve the quality? Yeah, go ahead. As you open your mind. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it really fundamentally starts from the source, really, right? I mean, when we are like, you know, when we have like, you know, when we are developing those pipelines from a data engineering perspective, I think it really starts from the source. And I, I know it's 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 easier said in theory than done because you know there are so many processes, there are so many microservices and stuff, so it's really tough to like you know ensure that. 
but really the point here is that we have to be you know a bit you know careful about when we start with like the source and how we like are moving the data over the pipeline whether it's etling it or you know storing it in a particular table format like iceberg you know ultimately the whole point is that we want to ensure those quality checks right from the beginning and towards that particular destination right and when we reach to that destination so i think there are a couple of like obviously as a like as a as a journey as a as a overall analytical journey we have obviously like tried to tackle a couple of things and we have a lot of open source solutions and even paid solutions as well in that aspect so i think this integration with those like you know the storage or the compute is super important from my perspective and how we can basically you know get into a form that ultimately leads you to a kind of like a reliable results right you know that's that's super important yeah oh thanks so much i think we can go to the next question here so would you would you like to add anything else yeah you can go ahead with the next okay okay so the next question is around the concept of data lake storage layer and i know we talk a, a lot about that and when we talk about dreamio and i was just hoping you guys could explain a bit better into what this means for people looking for a new data solution or a modern data tool for their data stack Okay. Now, when it comes to data lakes, the beauty of data lakes is that the idea is that you're storing your data somewhere that's not tied to the computing or querying of that data. So basically, it's all kind of started with the idea that first you would, once upon a time, just go directly from your OLTP sources, your application data, and go directly into a data warehouse. And that was fine and good. The problem is that data warehouses, especially on-prem data warehouses, were really expensive. So you're paying for a lot of having to pay for all these new machines that were really expensive. So the idea was, can we use sort of cheaper hardware to store that data? And that's where we kind of end up with like Hadoop being developed over there at Google, basically saying, okay, instead of having this separate network of high powered computers that are expensive, that, that power our data warehouse on-prem, how about we have this on-prem network of cheaper computers that, that can store all of our data? And this opened up a whole new world that eventually all of also the cloud, data warehouses go to the cloud, data lakes come to the cloud, but bottom line is that now having that sort of independent storage of your data and having tools that can operate on it opens up this new paradigm where basically it's it's you you decouple again like you as often said decouple and compute and storage, but that also again allows that expansion of use cases. And now with the table format, whether that's Apache Iceberg, Kudi, Delta Lake, it offers this metadata layer that really expands what that storage layer can do because now that becomes your storage to do all the kinds of workloads you used to think, oh, I still have to move some of my data to a data warehouse to do that. Now you can do that directly from your data lake storage, which really opens up the, the realm of collaboration, the, the expanding of different types of use cases you can use on that data. So it's pretty exciting where we are, where we're at right now and where we're going. It's amazing that you said that. And you mentioned table formats. And I was just watching, I think, a talk, one of the first talks about Apache Iceberg on the 2019 data summit. I don't remember where, but this guy named Aluxio said, and I quote, iceberg is a scalable format for tables with a lot of best practices in it. And I think this is very amazing and we can extract a lot of information from this. I think starting from what are those best practices that iceberg is, is putting into those tables? What? What? Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I think Alex can add to it as well. But I think like from the perspective, obviously, like the iceberg came into the picture, like 
I mean, just going to the basic question, like what is a table format, right? It's basically a way to organize and all of those files that are basically landing on a data lake storage in the form of a table, right? When you have, I mean, obviously we have learned over the years from like, you know, companies like Oracle and Microsoft with SQL Server and stuff that anything that you can like put in the form of a table and have a defined schema for that, you can easily query it from, with the use help of a compute engine, right? So I think that's the whole point. Like, you know, you basically have some parquet files, some raw CSV or JSON files. How do you define a schema around that? So you can do things like, for example, like schema evolution, right? For example, like your business requirements are going to be changing, right? How do you adopt to those kind of like, you know, business requirements, changing business requirements? So you definitely, you know, had a hard time in doing that in raw kind of file formats like Parquet or like, you know, CSV adjacent, right? So you needed a way to be able to do that, but also in a more of a like a consistent way. So when I say consistent, I t- I'm, I'm basically thinking about those acid properties, right? Where you have like two multiple writers are trying to write data at the same time at the same table. How do we ensure that those writes doesn't interfere with each other? And how do we ensure that they are successful or fail or whatever? So I think those are the kind of aspects. Similarly, you know, other aspects like partitioning. Partitioning is a huge aspect when you're dealing with larger amount of data, right? You're grouping your data, you know, you know, based on your row values and you know, perform, and you're basically, you know, segregating them into different partitions so that you can access data from a specific partition based on a query. But how do you evolve a partition, right? How do you? What if you have to change the partition strategy? You know, and those kind of things. So Iceberg brings those concepts like hidden partitioning, for example, like table formats, like the Hive table format, for example, that was kind of the inception for Iceberg. Like, you know, the, all the problems that we saw in the big data world with Hive and Hadoop, those kind of led to the Iceberg table format and modern table formats like Iceberg. But, you know, the fundamental problem that we are solving here is that how do you deal with those kind of like metadata changes, you know, partition changes, and those kind of things with more of like consistency and, you know, atomicity and those kind of guarantees. So that to me is something that is super important and stands out from iceberg perspective. Specifically, when you're dealing these things at scale, you know, when you're dealing with like, for example, a GB of data, probably that it might be okay for you to like, you know, just do it manually or, you know, you know use some other tools or something like that. But when you're doing this at scale, you know, that's when the problem you know, arises. And specifically in production, that's going to be super hard. And just to add to that, just to kind of think about like where iceberg came from. Iceberg came from, started out of Netflix and they were dealing with like real, uh, real use cases where they were having some, you know, really sluggish queries uh, when using sort of hive tables. And generally, you know, pre-table formats, well, what companies would have to do is they'd have to kind of come up with their own custom metrics collection, and they'd have to kind of come up with these discussions, like which metrics do we save? How much metrics do we save? And there's a lot of trade-offs because you could technically collect metrics and optimize every possible query in the world. But at some point, if you're collecting metric, so many metrics on so many different fields of your table, you do end up collecting sort of you know, you end up creating a bigger, larger data structure of metadata that becomes longer and more expensive to traverse. So a lot of these trade-offs, a lot of these discussions were things that happened over there at Netflix. And they brought a lot of those lessons learned to the format far as like, hey, which metrics provide the most value more of the time? How should they be structured to, you know, be easy to traverse for any query engines that want to traverse them and so forth and so forth. So, you know, they brought a lot of those lessons learned those best practices to sort of the structure of how that metadata is, is kept in the Apache Iceberg format. I love it. And I remember they also said that this was made for, I think, ending all the manual work that were being put into just cleaning and doing all of the things that you need to do usually. 
with data from all Netflix's and Apple's data engineers. And now they can focus after that, they can focus on getting new data sets and just building things and building new tools into their production without having to worry about all those manual work that they had to do previously. So very great way that they actually saw the things that were harming them to grow and scale. And they made this awesome tool that can help everyone to do that. Over to you, Sai. Yeah, I think that gives a deeper understanding of like Apache Iceberg. And I just want to know like there are other tools like Hoodie and let's say Delta Lake. So when to use which metadata format like Iceberg or Hoodie or like Delta Lake for which use case do I need to use which tool? Can you give any insights on that? Basically, the way I look at it is that generally when it comes to sort of like where where my default, sort of where do I generally default to? I default to Apache Iceberg. It was built as sort of like the most sort of general use case open format, in my opinion. But again, that doesn't necessarily mean any format is perfect for all use cases. And there's there's definitely a case to be made for a, you know, there being usage of multiple formats in certain use cases. But if you take a look at the lineage or the history of each format, it kind of tells you sort of like what use cases they were sort of designed for. So like Delta Lake was particularly created because basically the Databricks company, they were focusing on reading data in Data Lake repositories and they needed a layer of metadata for them to be able to query the data more efficiently. So they designed it particularly to kind of fit into their platform and particularly to work with the Spark engine. So it's kind of really designed with that particular use case in mind. So while it is like open source, there's still like a, a lot of the features, a lot of the optimizations that really kind of give you most of the value with Delta Lake are still things that are integral to the Databricks platform, whether it's like things like the Unity catalog and, and things like that. And when it comes to like the Hoodie, Hoodie was created out of Uber. And Uber, I mean, you're streaming lots of data on a daily basis when you think of all these cars that are bringing people around all that all that geo data and so forth so basically really need a high, high handle very high throughput when it came to streaming data it was really built for that for that sort of particular angle so all three formats can generally be used in most use cases but they again got created in, in sort of a particular sort of context and that generally kind of helps identify sort of like where does its strengths kind of lean you know, so basically Apache Iceberg was kind of designed for sort of general general use querying of very large data sets. Delta Lake really to, to maximize the Databricks platform and Hoodie for, you know, really kind of maximizing stream processing. And so that's generally sort of the way I think about it. Yeah, and just to add to that, you know, for the listeners, you know, in terms of the comparison, like, you know, just to be clear, like these are basically the similar kind of table formats. Like, you know, this is a table format, this is the metadata layer that is going to sit on top of your data lake, right? So ultimately, I mean, feature-wise comparison, I mean, it, it's kind of like, you know, every other feature, like yeah, it's either getting added or, you know, something or other is being tackled in either of the table formats. But just to be, give a basic understanding, these are some, like, these are the three table formats available for you to like pick it up. But obviously like, the, the, the point here is that when to use it and when to not use it, I think that will also depend on a lot on the ecosystem and how it works in general with a different source of tool. So for example, Iceberg being the open kind of table format, it opens up like since you are storing your, your data in an independent tier, like in an open tier, you are open to a lot of compute engines, like which is not just only Spark, you know, or not just Dremio. Whereas it, it opens up to like even streaming platforms, like, you know, processing engines like Flink or, you know, any kind of like machine learning based, like, you know, libraries like TensorFlow or like the you know, PyTorch. You can really basically consume any kind of data set from there. 
And since it's open, you do you are not limiting yourself to just one particular compute. And this brings us to the next part, which is this basically secures your future kind of data infrastructure, right? For example, let's say today you have started your analytical journey as an organization and you started doing your BI kind of reports and stuff. But eventually you realize, okay, I have some kind of streaming data. So I need to bring in Flink here or any kind of streaming platform here. And I need to be able to, you know, do my analytical on top of my, you know, already existing infrastructure. So Iceberg, you know, allows you to do that because, you know, you are not really changing the basic infrastructure here. And ultimately what it's doing is you're basically bringing your computer data and not the other way around. So that is super important to understand as well. Thank you so much. I also shared here on the space a tweet that Alex made on how Lake House Table Format works. It might be useful for a context on here, some, some of the things we're talking about. And also moving into other open source tools I'd like to talk about. So do you guys think there are any other that were, that is worth mentioning when it comes to optimizing your data workflow? Deepakar, I know that you mentioned previously with me working with Arrow, with Nessie. Can you talk right. more about those yeah. and, and how they help out? Absolutely, yeah. I think Arrow like has been one of the significant projects that have been like to be honest, like if you are a data scientist or a data engineer, probably you might have not directly used Arrow, but underneath some library like you know any modern data stack library or any kind of like open source library like Spark, whether it's Streamlit, whether it's any kind of like you know modern data stack libraries, they are really really using Arrow underneath, whether it's for data transfer, whether it being the columnar format, you know, whatever reason is that. So I think Arrow is a critical piece of the infrastructure, and I, I really consider, you know, it, it, it is not necessarily maybe, you know, if you're not a software engineer building those platforms, maybe you're not definitely directly leveraging it, but it definitely has a significant edge towards it. One another aspect towards that is that Arrow, to be honest, today Arrow has like grown from like just being the columnar in memory format. Like it's today, it's like there are different sub-projects like Arrow Flight, for example, or ADBC. So those protocols, like, now our workloads in the analytical world has become more columnar rather than row-based, right? Because obviously the performance aspects and compressibility and those kind of things. So we want to be able to have a columnar transfer, transfer protocol, right? Over these years, we have always had the JDBC and ODBC protocol that has worked really well with like row-based like, you know, data and stuff. But now that we are kind of in the columnar world, we need a more of a columnar standard to have that arrow-based data transfer. So things like Aeroflight is something you know super important as well, and I can see like a lot of new tools and a lot of new you know companies are adopting those tools. So that's going to be super critical. So Arrow, my point is that Arrow is going to be a critical piece of your infrastructure, whether you're directly leveraging it or indirectly. And on top of that, Project Nessie and you know Project Nessie is something Alex can go on deep as well. But Project Nessie is a catalogs on top of the iceberg or any kind of like right now it supports iceberg. But in the future, it might support Delta Lake as well. I mean, it, it had support at some point of time. It's just that the latest you know, PRs have not been merged. But basically, you can bring all those type of data ops things on top of your table format. So similar things you already have done in the world of Git, right, or GitHub. So like, for example, you create your branch, you run, you know, you, you do your own coding, and like, you, know, you add a new feature, you remove a new feature, optimize the code, whatever it is. And when you're done with that, you push it to production, you know, so that those workloads are not impacted. Similarly, in the world of data with Nessie, we can basically create a branch. We can run your, as a machine learning engineer or data scientist, you can run your own isolated experiment. And once you're done, or when you're running that experiment, no one else is impacted by the experiment, right? You know, there is no impact on the data as such. So that isolated branch, once you're done, you can just merge that branch just by saying, hey, merge this branch to this particular main. 
And that particular data set is now available in production. So those are the kind of things. And Alex can add as well. Yeah, no, that, 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 that was great. The only thing I really want to add to that is, one, there's a lot to say about versioning in the data lake house space. So like a, there's a show that we do every week at Dremio called uh, Gnarly Data Waves. It's available on iTunes and Spotify. But a couple of weeks ago, I did an episode where I talked literally just an hour about this topic, versioning. So talking about like LakeFS, talking about Nessie, talking about the table versioning that's built into Iceberg. So the one thing I want to point out, though, is just like a lot of people will go, you know, Nessie is cool, but doesn't Iceberg already have like a table versioning built into it? Again, that's table level. So that means like, you know, you could you could create a branch on a table in just in a native Iceberg table. But what Nessie brings to the table is catalog level versioning. And again, oftentimes we're working with multiple tables. So in that case, you know, if I have 100 tables that are part of a ML workflow and I want to like tag those tables at a particular state, I can tag the catalog and only have to create one tag instead of creating 100 tags and 100 individual tables. Or if I need to roll back after a failed ingestion job, I can roll back the catalog instead of having to roll back 100 individual tables. So I think there's like some really great benefits to the catalog level abstraction. And Nessie also brings along a lot of the other advantages of also being able to be a, a layer where governance can occur and other things. And it's only expanding. So it's a really cool project that I definitely recommend everyone check out. Oh, thank you so much. Also, I think we can talk about open source tools that Apache Iceberg integrates well with. So how well does Iceberg talks with other tools like maybe Spark, Flink, and Trino? Have you guys heard about that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, Iceberg. Like, like I said, like the the integration is only like you know increasing. Like every now and then, I hear like new engines adopting, and now even like you know cloud data warehouses, like for example, like Snowflake and BigQuery, they are able to read Iceberg tables. So I think the read support is the one that is kind of catching up, and I also see a lot of open source databases, like for example, DuckDB is another thing, right? So DuckDB is going to have kind of a Iceberg support in the future. They're working on it for at least the read support. And then there are like you know, tools like, you know, for example, like Trino that you mentioned as well. I know ClickHouse has started uh, Iceberg read support. There is StarRox uh, that is, you know, another open source compute. So really, the since the table format itself is open, different compute engines can come in and say, hey, you know what? This can also be used to like read or, you know, write an Iceberg data or, you know, Iceberg table. So obviously, like, you know, as of now, the one of the most feature is open, open source compute engine is Spark. And, you know, Dremio, for example, as well you know, at Dremio, we also have been like focusing on a lot of these capabilities and, you know, functionalities to really match up to Spark. And I think, you know, that really opens up the capabilities for, because Dremio, and again, we, we can take, talk, talk more about it. But again, the whole point here is that we want to reduce those friction, right? You know, how do you get started with like setting up an iceberg, you know, a catalog to like really being able to create your first iceberg table, you know, run all this operation and stuff. So Dremio really simplifies those aspects as well, yeah. And to add to that, just because this is a, really a place where, like, yes, Apache Iceberg has all these integrations with all these different query engines and tools, but there's a reason for that. And I think the reason for that really points out to sort of like what makes it sort of different than the other formats is that Apache Iceberg is purely just a spec. It's, it's just a spec and a few libraries to kind of, that are really act as more like sample implementation so that way other tools. So basically any tool that would like to add Apache Iceberg format has full visibility of the spec of how you read and write Apache Iceberg file format metadata and then on top of that like the spark libraries they're open source and they act as like a, a, a example limitation so that way if any other engine wants to add 
not just the ability to work with Apache Iceberg tables, but the ability to optimize Apache Iceberg tables, they serve as a sample implementation. There's, there's really, there's no services attached to the project. So you don't have to run any individual services. It's just a way of doing things and other engines and tools can choose to adopt that way of doing things. Vice versa, you, the, and again, the, the, why I'm pointing that out is just that there's a slight difference in that with the other two formats. So uh, Hoodie, again, also open source, everything is visible, but it also comes with a service called the Delta Streamer. So, that, so and a, a lot of the benefit of Hoodie comes from running that service because essentially what that Delta Streamer is doing is it's optimizing your tables while you're ingesting your tables. But it basically, so while you get that benefit of that additional service, you have to deploy that service, which means you have to kind of set up the compute for that. There are services that can help you with a little difference in sort of like how do, you know, third-party tools integrate it into their system to fully advantage. And then like in, De in Delta Lake's case, a lot of the tools for like optimizing Delta Lake tables, a lot of things, a lot of the tools that really kind of get you the value of Delta Lake are not built into the format. There are things that come out, come, come as part of like the Databricks platform. So in that case, like other tools that want to work with Delta Lake, they have to kind of figure out how to reinvent the wheel. There's, there's, it's just a little bit more, a little bit more legwork to kind of possibly even match sort of that feature parity in a sense. Well, Iceberg, everything's just kind of laid out. Nothing, no services are pre-built. They allow each tool to kind of figure out, okay, based on this sort of example, build, build what you need to work with Iceberg, which makes it just an easier on-ramp for any tool that wants to build that capability. Thus, many tools have. So, yeah. It is definitely a very well-prepared tool. You guys are sharing a lot of amazing, I think, capabilities. I didn't even know. Sai, would you like to ask another question? I know that you have one. Yeah. Uh, so I think in the last, uh, like that gives amazing information about the ecosystem around these plat solutions. I think in the last data summit of Databricks, they released this Delta Lake 3.0 which is like combining all the metadata formats of like Delta Lake, Apache Hoodie and Iceberg so that any echoes, any, any connector can be used on top of this. So what do you think of that? Have you come across that? I mean, I love the idea of interoperability between the table formats. I do sort of have an opinion how I think it should look like, but first off, I'll talk about Uniformat and sort of how Uniformat works. So Uniformat, which is a feature in Delta Lake 3.0, is essentially, essentially what it's doing at the moment. And right now it can only work with Iceberg and essentially it's only in, basically what it does is if you write a Delta Lake table, it'll asynchronously write Iceberg metadata. So a couple, couple caveats with that. Okay, so since it's asynchronous, that means essentially like the commit to the Delta Lake table will occur and it may still be writing the commit to the Iceberg version of the metadata. So you, you could possibly run into inconsistency issues with that because basically what happens is that you know i may have i may be creating the iceberg table knowing that a new data has come in but the iceberg metadata hasn't finished writing yet but the delta lake table is so someone querying the delta lake table seeing different data than someone querying the iceberg table if they did it in that split second or in that time frame between the two sets of metadata being written and again it's early stages so you know these are things that you know everyone who's trying to come up with interop is going to have to kind of figure out along the way but two, also it batches transactions. So if you do a lot of Delta Lake transactions, it, it'll batch those into sort of one one commit to the iceberg data. So you don't necessarily have all those shades of gray for like time travel queries with the iceberg metadata. So there is sort of limitations on what you're getting and that's fine. And then also there's a requirement that you have to use a Unity catalog right now. So right now, if you want to take advantage of that Unity format, it does require usage of the Unity catalog, which is part of the Databricks platform. So if you're not using the Databricks platform, 
you're you're really not able to use Unicore you know, Math. But essentially, ideally, the way they're putting it is that eventually you'll be able to do read and write with Hoodie and Iceberg. But basically, that's sort of like the state of things now. So essentially, what it's doing is writing two sets of metadata. I'm not sure exactly. There's another project called OneTable that's coming out of the OneHouse camp who works a lot with Hoodie, you know, a company funded by the, the creator of Hoodie. And basically, they're kind of doing a similar approach where basically you can sync metadata starting from like Hoodie to another format. But also, I think their goal is to do two-way. There's still a lot of details that haven't been released yet on how that works, but I'm looking forward to hearing about how that works. A project that I think does sort of this kind of translation layer really well actually comes from the web development world. There's a company by the name of Builder.io. And what happens with in the web world is you have a bunch of front-end frameworks, React, Vue, Quick, Svelte. And sometimes you may want to be able to create a UI, but you want your UI to be expressed in one of these frameworks. So what they did is they actually created an intermediate format called mitosis. It's like an intermediate JSON expression of your UI. So essentially what happens is that instead of having to create all these backports and conversions, you just create a two-way way of translating into that intermediate format. So basically what happens, if I want to translate from Vue to React, I don't have to create a Vue to React converter. You just you go from Vue to mitosis and then from mitosis to React. So basically, once you create that mitosis translation, you're able to translate from any endpoint and any start point from any endpoint. So something like that, I think, would be great for frame, for table formats because then you don't have to come up with one route for each possible combination. You just create this intermediate format that allows you to translate between all of them freely. And then if a fourth format or a fifth format came into play, they could easily then become part of that ecosystem by just creating that translation into the intermediate format. And the last bit, last bit on that is there probably will be a need for future niche formats. I don't think, I think we got what we need for our general purpose formats, but, you know, I can imagine in the world that there might be certain use cases that might want to structure the metadata slightly differently from that specific use case. And then you translate it back to your general use case metadata and, you know, having some sort of like translation layer like that, I think will be useful. I look forward to seeing someone like pick that up as like their open source project at some point. That's a great example. And I think... It pays a lot into you're not wanting to be locked into a one solution, especially like perhaps there's a tool that you, you like a functionality, another tool you like another functionality, you want to use them both. But just being able to change, I, I think, seamlessly between each one and being able to work with both in a way that they work, they communicate well together. That is essential. And I think it's also very much of what we're trying to do into making a lot of different tools, open source tools, being able to communicate themselves very well at Shakudo. And I was wondering if you guys have any, I think, success stories or use cases that you've seen of this transition or migration to implementing Apache Iceberg that were successful. Is that a difficult thing to do usually? It depends on your use case. You know, we've seen, <clears throat> like, basically, people who use the Dremio platform generally are using Iceberg right away without even realizing it. Because there's a feature in uh, Dremio called data reflections. And essentially, data reflections are sort of, I always like to refer to them, just kind of get the idea across as, like, materializations on steroids. So if we take, a, like, a traditional materialized view, I have, like, table A, and, uh, you know, basically, I have a view on it that, you know, basically is, like, a, base is only looking at a 10th of the record. So then what I do is I create a materialized table on it. 
that's great. It's faster, but I'm creating another namespace. So basically to take advantage of the mutualization, you have to know to query that other namespace. And then two, you have to figure out how to keep it in sync. And these are things that people have to always have challenges with when they try to take this materialized table approach. A lot of tools kind of figure out the sync thing, but you still have the extra namespace thing. Data reflections kind of does, takes that off the table. So when I turn on data reflections on the table in Dremio, it's creating a materialization of that view in Apache Iceberg. So let's say it's a table, like let's say I wanted to create a data reflection on a table for like a MySQL database that I've connected to Dremio. It's actually creating an Apache Iceberg representation of that data under the hood. And the cool thing is I can set partitioning rules and sorting rules on that particular materialization to, to get even more bang for my buck. And if I create any views derived from that view, those views get the benefit from that materialization as well. So an end user doesn't need to know that the feature is even turned on. They don't need to query another namespace. They would just query the table they're used to querying. So to them, they might just be querying that MySQL table and they're getting the benefits of Iceberg under the hood and seeing the acceleration and the better query planning under the hood. Now, what happens is that you might have some sort of use cases where you you are doing much more frequent updates. And that's where like a, a, a lot of people are like looking to just adopt Iceberg natively as a format because if, when you have Iceberg natively as your format, then a query engine like Dremio can always consult your your your, your Iceberg catalog and always know what the freshest state of your table is, which allows for maximum data freshness on top of all the benefits that Apache Iceberg already brings, which you generally are already receiving just by using the Dremio platform under the hood. So a lot of people are doing that mainly for that data freshness reason. Some people are seeing that, you know, they've been doing a lot of manual work with parquet tables and they realize that instead of them manually partitioning all these parquet files and creating all these complex data applications that they can pretty much deliver that data just as easily by partitioning an iceberg table and the iceberg metadata does a lot of the work for them. So there's a lot of reasons why people are adopting iceberg and it's pretty cool to kind of see that, that, that there is such a variety of reasons that people come to it. Oh, that, that was a, a packed answer for sure. Did Packer, would you like to talk about like any more like r real world use cases or even the way that you know, users are using the platform? Yeah, so, you know, everything that Alex said, you know, how Dremio basically integrates. I mean, the whole point here is that, like I mentioned before as well, there is always a, like a friction with when you're starting with a new technology and, you know, building your infrastructure and like you know, architecture in general. That's a big decision to make. So the whole idea here with Iceberg and Dremio, that combination is that we want to simplify the journey, right? We want to make sure that users don't have to worry about, you know, building, you know, either configuring a catalog or, you know, why don't, why not just use, let the software, let take care of that, right? So Dremio as a lakehouse platform has two components, just to give an idea at a high level. One is the compute engine part, which you can compare like with any other tools like Trino or like, you know, Spark as well. Uh, but obviously the use cases can vary. For example, Dremio works really wor like good with like ad hoc SQL and like those kind of BI reporting kind of queries, right? So you can basically like, you know, take advantage of that platform. And what you can do is you can easily, like there are native integrations with tools like Tableau, Power BI, and any kind of like uh, open source tools as well, like Superset. So you can really easily connect your, so you are not as a user, you are just interacting with Iceberg tables from the interface, right? You are not doing under the hood, whatever, like, you know, things you have to do. So basically it's just a way to connect to your Iceberg table and you can connect to, you know, data set and download that data set and start with your visualization journey, for example. So it really simplifies the journey in that way because ultimately what we are trying to achieve here is how we can maximize and how we can support more analytical workloads or a, a, even existing analytical workload like BI, ML or streaming, whatever it is. So that is the part of the journey. 
In terms of how customers like Dremio and Iceberg are kind of like seeing, like Alex mentioned, like, you know, obviously like Iceberg by default is like a really excellent choice with Dremio. That combination really is simple. It's easy to get started and, you know, you get all the benefits like performance optimization, you know, data virtualization, for example, and all those kind of security. And, you know, those are also important things, right? For example, like you in Dremio, you are able to, for example, like you have an Iceberg table, but you also have some kind of a table in Postgre, for example, right? So with Dremio, you can easily join this table on the fly and you can really federate your queries and, you know, come up with a, your own data set, right? And that's happening on the fly. So when you're accessing these different data sources, you need to have a proper, you know, security mechanism and governance mechanism. Are the reasons that customers are kind of like moving into a platform, lake house platform like Dremio with Iceberg because they have that simplified you know, use of and ease of use and those kind of you know abilities. Absolutely, and you get all the power of Apache Iceberg with the simplicity of just MySQL. And also, you guys have a, a free tire, right? Free tier oh. here. Yeah, yeah. Basically, Dremio, the base of the, the start the get started is really free. It depends on which approach you want to take. So there's basically two ways to get started with Dremio. You could either get started on, like, if you basically need to go on-prem, maybe because you're using on-prem infrastructure, or maybe you just have to kind of do everything in sort of your own virtual private cloud, there's Dremio software. And there's the Dremio software community edition, which is absolutely free to deploy. You know, you, you can self-deploy it and, you know, scale up as, and use it as much as you want. Generally, what happens is that people will first try out with something like Community Edition or the free tier on cloud. So cloud has a free tier so that we can, and then that's even quicker to get set up. So if you're not limited by having to use on-prem infrastructure or a virtual private cloud, then Dremio Cloud is a great option that you can get started in like five minutes. Like literally, it's just a couple of clicks and you're, you're set up. Uh, you, you just log in with your Gmail and you have a data lake house. And uh, But basically, either way, people start off with like the, the, the free tier and really all you're paying for is, is your infrastructure cost. So, you, you know, you, you may have the, the, your cloud storage, your cloud compute, but as far as like what you're paying Dremio, there's no licensing, no, 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 no member subscription costs or anything like that. And uh, basically what will happen is eventually, you know, your scaling goes up and up and up and you, because people are really enjoying the easy intuitive UI and easy access to their data because you're federating all these data sources, accelerating them, organizing them in our semantic layer. And then people, you know, engage Dremio to kind of see, you know, what, what some of our paid solutions are like, where we can give you more support for that larger, at that larger scale as, as you expand your usage. But you can pretty much, I mean, there's companies that have used Dremio for free for years and have just been really happy with the solution. So Anyone can get started today, try it out. And then again, as you're, as you're, if you grow, you need more, you talk to us, we take care of you. Absolutely. You guys have an amazing team to back it up. And I, I just recently did a, a tweet that I said to people basically, hey, you guys learned SQL. And people were, were kind of mad because like, hey, it's not just that. I mean, we need more efficiency. We need something more modern. So there you go, guys. Dreamio is the solution you're, you're looking for. All the modern I, I think data managed way with the simplicity of just using a SQL with this abstraction layer. We also integrate Dreamio on Shakeputo. So if you want to use Dreamio easily with other open source tools, data tools to modernize your data stack, that's a great option. And to make sure it's scalable as well. So amazing. And also another question I have here for you guys. And, and I once asked this question to Sai as well. So it's basically when deploying a solution uh, like this, a data lake, what are the considerations that you need to have in terms of like 
the infrastructure that I need? How can I integrate this with other tools in my data stack? How can I make this all work together? Maybe I'm using like a tool for deploying, a tool for monitoring, a tool for building the model itself, and it, it can quickly become very messy. So how would you guys, usually in your, I think, work that you see your clients or maybe day-to-day, how you take this approach to solve this problem? Yeah, uh, so, go for it. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Alexia, yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay, I mean, I'll, I'll be real quick about it. So the bottom line is like, you just have to take a look at what your, your company's particular, first, your limitations. So I mentioned earlier, like, do are you currently work with like on-prem infrastructure? And there's nothing wrong with on-prem. There's a lot of real legit reasons that people still have on-prem on-prem infrastructure, whether it's for security, for regulatory purposes, and you know whether it's a Hadoop cluster or a Minio cluster. There's reasons they may do that. When it comes to on-prem, just one of the few modern tools that really works really well on-prem. So you know that's generally going to be sort of a, a key choice there, but also things to think about is sort of what other tools do you use? So that's going to be more like how you implement something like Iceberg, because one of the key things about how you connect to Iceberg is the Iceberg catalog. And different, not all engines have support for all Iceberg catalog, because it's, it's expanding, and, and that, that is becoming less of a barrier because it is expanding, but it's still a situation where, you know, if, like, for example, there is sort of a, right now iceberg works with like absolute file paths and absolute file paths which they are working on creating a relative file path spec for iceberg does create an issue with particularly with like using LakeFS as a versioning solution because they depend on the file path to determine like hey what's the what branch are you using and whatnot so in order to overcome that they came out with their own catalog that 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 specific catalog implements the the relative file paths the problem is you know what engines support that particular catalog right now you know, again, that might expand, but if you were to implement that like an iceberg with like a fast solution right now, you might run into an issue. Hey, a lot of the tools I want to use don't support this catalog right now, so I can't, I can't use that. Versus, you know, so basically, and there's a lot of different catalogs to choose from. So that's one thing. If you're implementing iceberg, you want to think, hey, what catalog am I using? Does it work with the particular tools that I'm using? So, for example, like in a solution like Nessie, does it work with tools not just Dremio, but with Spark, Link, Trino, and so forth. So you have you have your options there, and. Yeah, so basically leave it at that. One, compatibility of tools, and two, sort of like any regulatory compliance needs that may require a particular sort of architectural choice. Yeah, I was going to just add to that, like in, in terms of the infrastructure considerations, I think obviously like the, like Alex mentioned, I think how do you get started with the platform, like whether it's on-premise or whether you're agreeing with the cloud storage or whatever it is, that storage is super important to understand. Then depending on your like, you know, data processing needs, you need to decide whether how much compute are you going to like Although it's practically, it's hard to know that, but at least you should have a slight idea of what your compute resources are going to be, how compute intensive those those queries or those kind of like workloads are going to be. And obviously an important part of any kind of building, any kind of infrastructure is scalability and performance, right? So, you know, you need to have that thing in your mind that when you're designing your infrastructure, right? So you make sure that storage and processing components can scale horizontally, you know, or out out way to accommodate those kind of growing data needs. And, you know, as we have realized now, you know, every com- company is like trying to, you know, store or manage the data as much as they can to really take all the benefits of, you know, analytical workloads like ML and streaming and BI. So I think that is, those are some of the considerations as security and other aspect as well. But also like, you know, I was just reading the other day in Twitter, like now we have more tools to like solve a particular problems, you know, than we had way before. So I think that is another aspect. Like how does a particular infrastructure piece 
integrates with, with your data stack, right? Whether it's data ingestion, whether it's data catalog, data transformation tools like DVD and stuff, you know, analytical and visualization tools. So those are the kind of perspective we have to think about it. And I think we always want to simplify our infrastructure, but I, again, you know, these are the, like different components have come up, different, you know, niche tools are there. So we might want to keep that in mind as well. Yeah, I agree with the things being said, like infrastructure and the, uh, its integration with other tools is quite important. I do have more questions. Oh, I mean, that, that would be the question I would also want to mention all, for, for everyone, how Shakuto actually helps you to do that and helps you integrate all of these tools together so that it all works seamlessly. And uh, if you want to use Iceberg, if you want to use Dreamio or Apache Arrow or Apache Nessie, and even tools like Airflow or DBT or Superset, it's all in one place already with monitoring and with everything you need to make sure your data project or your data product work as seamlessly as possible. Sai, would you like to add anything here? Oh, yeah. So... Yeah, presently Shaikudo provides this as like a managed services. Basically, we use Kubernetes in the backend and we eliminate the need for the clients to set them up and they can start right away using, let's say, MLflow or any of the integrations. And yeah, basically the infrastructure is pretty stable, ensuring like the scalability and availability. I mean, Kubernetes takes care of that. So That's amazing. And also... Is also always building a lot of cool projects with the platform. You can find them all in our blog posts. We both write about it and it's pretty cool. I've, I'm linking the link for the Apache Iceberg book made by Alex and Deepaker. And also, I think that the founders of Dreamio, right, guys? They're that's also right. that's amazing. And if you guys want to check it out, if you guys also want to share the link for your podcast, that's amazing. I was actually listening to it for the past few days. Very informative. Select all from Data Lake, right? Yep. There's things like Star from Data Lake. Also, there's our weekly Dremio show, Gnarly Dataways, which is also available on any podcast network near you. That's great. Any Anything else you guys would like to talk about? Anything upcoming for events or things happening at Dreamier? Uh, yeah, next. I mean, we, sorry. <laughs> like, yeah. No, go, 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 go. All right, yeah. So yeah, we do a host our, you know, annual like Data Lake, Lake, Data Lake House Conference, which is like called Subsurface, which just got over this year, early this year. We have a lot of interesting talks around that. For example, the companies like Apple, Pinterest, how they are implementing Iceberg and how they are, you know, seeing all those challenges and those, all those lessons learned. But I think, yeah, I mean, we are always like me and Alex, we are always like, you know, part of some conference or other speaking about Iceberg primarily and Dremio as well and how it integrates. We do, like like Alex mentioned, we have our gnarly database, which is kind of a webinar that we run. And, you know, we talk about all those things. We also run a like in a specific episode called Apache Iceberg Office Hours, which is where you can bring up any question that you want, like about Iceberg or, you know, how it integrates with other compute and stuff. So that is something, yeah, super exciting as well. That's amazing. And I think if anyone is building with Iceberg, they're in great company here with those guys. Alex, you'd like to add anything? Oh, yeah, just two, two, two items. Like next week, we have a couple other events, if anyone wants to check them out. So on the 15th, so it's on Tuesday, I'm doing a joint webinar with InfluxDB about 
just about using Apache, you know, the, the Apache ecosystem, how, you know, InfluxDB and Dermio uses like things like Apache Iceberg, Apache Arrow, Apache Parquet, and all these kind of things. So if you want to hear that talk, that's then. And then on Wednesday, I'll be doing the opening keynote for Data Ops Day, where I'll be talking about where Data Ops and Data Lake Houses and where the two meet. So that'll be on Wednesday as part of the Data Ops Day, which is both, both events being virtual. So if anyone wants to look those up and check those out, I'll be there. <laughs> It's, they, they're they always working amazing initiatives around data lakes and make sure to check it out if you'd like to stay in touch with modern data solutions. And thank you guys so much for participating. And it was a pleasure having you here. Absolutely. It was a pleasure as well. Yeah. And it was nice to talk about all those things with, you know, with like-minded people. And like, you know, it's, it's always like there are so many new tools coming up. It's super hard to like even follow like from a beginner perspective or even from like people like, you know, experience as well. So I think it's really good to be able to talk on a Friday about this. So thank you so much for having us. I am Sabrina. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye guys. Thank you.